0: All right, I, you guys, y'all like the way those chairs feel this morning? Feel pretty good. I want y'all stand back up. I'm gonna read the scripture. Y'all, <laughs> just stand back up. Here we go. Okay, I want to read this whole scripture at the beginning, and then I'll i kind of tell you what we're talking about. It's um from the book of Matthew verses 14 through 27. And thank you to Kaylin and Emily for leading worship this morning as always. Um, Matthew 26 verses 14 through 27. It says then one of the 12 the one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you and so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus and asked where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the passover And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near and I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say, To him, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me, and the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Father, I ask you to bless the teaching and preaching of the word today. Only do it through your power. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So I want to talk about the scripture, but first I'll tell you, I, I this a little bit of a tangent, but um, I, I like tattoos. Like, I, I like them, but, um, I, you know, we could talk about biblically whether or not we should get them. We won't go there, but I, I just think they're kind of cool. Now, I like them not enough to actually get one. I've thought about, like, if I were to get one, what I would get, and, I, you know, I've kind of been thinking, like, maybe I'd get a sword that went down my back, like, my spine and had a skull down there and maybe some butterflies in my lower back or something. Um, I'm kidding, like, about the butterflies, but I think the sword's kind of cool, but I just show up and, like, go to the pool, community pool, and have the, but um, I'm sorry if you have a sword, but... Um, you know, usually the cool thing about tattoos to me is that there's always a story behind them. So I find it interesting, like if you go somewhere and somebody has tattoos, you ask them about their tattoos. You know, if, if you, I mean, typically someone thought enough of it. Uh, every once in a while somebody was intoxicated and just got one. Um, but, uh, but typically people will have a story and a reason they got it. And, and I'll never forget this one tattoo that I saw on this guy. And it was on his forearm. And it was in big letters, and it went from his wrist to his elbow. And I didn't get to ask him why he had it. But the tattoo said three words. It said, Judas 8-2, T-O-O, Judas 8-2. And I saw that tattoo, and I, and I, once again, I didn't get to ask him about it. But I, um, as a Christian, if you weren't a Christian, you may not know who Judas is. You may not really understand that. But it's, particularly as a pastor, somebody who studied the Bible, I thought, well, obviously, it's talking about Judas Iscariot. Judas, one of the 12 that I just read to you about, who was at the table with Jesus reclining at the dinner. And, um, and he had exchanged 30 pieces of silver uh, for Jesus, the, the very, his Messiah, the person who would come to save him. And not only that, but Jesus would serve him communion that night at the table. So he would eat with him. Judas ate too. He would eat with him, and then he would also, before the dinner, we think, that Jesus would wash his feet. And so I imagine that this guy had the tattoo for a couple of reasons. One, probably to say, to remind himself that Jesus loved him, despite who he was. Maybe he was like Judas, but maybe it was a reminder that he was supposed to love other people, despite their sin. In fact, I was thinking, maybe we all need this tattoo. I mean, maybe we could all, you know, we used to ride, remember people would like go off to another state when you're younger and you'd hide it from your parents, but we, we could all go get a tattoo together. But, but, but imagine if we all had Judas 8 2 somewhere on us to remind us that Jesus came for the sinner, that he came for the very people who would betray him. Um, Jesus was a lover of sinners. I want you to think about this for a minute. He was not a lover of sin, he was a lover of sinners. He loved the very people um, who would crucify him and who would betray him. He loved them so much. In fact, I, you know, you think about this. Jesus had the heart of the Father. He had the Father's heart. He had God's heart. He had God um, who loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. Jesus had his heart because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one. And so he had the heart of the Father And so sin broke his heart, but he loved sinners, so much that he was actually ridiculed for eating with sinners. Like, if you remember, they actually ridiculed Jesus and said, how in the world is this man who claims to be the Messiah, and they said he was blasphemous, how in the world does he eat with sinners? It says in uh, Matthew 9, 10 through 11, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples, And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Matthew was a tax collector, and so he's got all of his peers over, and all the tax collectors are eating there, and so Jesus is eating with a bunch of IRS employees. So, by the way, if you hadn't done your taxes, you probably need to get on it. Don't cheat on them. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's a lesson here. And so he's eating with these tax collectors, and I'm not picking on the IRS, but it's probably not the people that you want to sit down and have dinner with. The people that you're paying money to or you feel like are unfairly taking your money. And in their day, the Jews really despised the tax collectors because they took advantage of people and they took more than they should have. And they were, so they were, really, they were really considered the sinners. But it says in verse 12, Matthew nine twelve it says after that, it says on hearing this, here's Jesus' response. On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Not the healthy needed doctors, the sick. Jesus is like, man, I came for the sinner. That's the very person that I came and I died for. He's like, that's why I'm here. They're like, well, you're the Messiah. You're supposed to be hanging out with all the healthy people. He's like, no, I came for the sick. It would be like critiquing a doctor in the hospital and walking up to him and be like, Doc, what in the world are you doing here with all these sick people? And the doctor would be like, well, this is what I do. You're like, well, you should be with a bunch of healthy people. And he's like, well, no, I, I, I'm here for the sick. You see, the church is supposed to be a place for the sick. Unfortunately, many people outside of the church, I believe, picture the church as a place where you come when you get right. The church is not a place you come when you get right. The church is a place you come to get right. You follow me? The church is not a place you come when you get right. It's a place you come to get right. We come here to get right with Jesus. You don't walk in the door and people size you up. At least they shouldn't. And go, oh my gosh, why is that person a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner? More so, it's welcome to the den of dirty, rotten, stinking sinners who sit at the feet of Jesus, the redemptive God who came and died for us and shed his blood on the cross so that we could all have life. We're all sitting around the table together as a bunch of broken people. The difference in us and unbelievers is that we have claimed, if you are a believer, that we have claimed the blood of Jesus over our life. And he is the atoning sacrifice, which means atonement. He makes us at one with God so that we have the forgiveness of sin. But we're all sinners. It's just like you don't go to the doctor one time. You don't walk into the doctor's office and be like, well, go ahead and do your thing because I'm glad this is my one visit for my life you go and you go back when you're sick and you get you get medicine or you get referrals you continue to visit your doctor we continue to come to Jesus to the altar we continue to sit with him to soak in his presence in order to receive the nourishment that he gives us I think it would be fun to hang out with Jesus I really do I know some people think that he was probably a prude or religious bureaucrat but he was not that It actually would have been fun. Can you imagine sitting around the table? I mean, I bet bet he laughed and he was telling stories and parables and you were like tracking with him and they're all reclining at the table and they're hanging out and they're friends and I mean, he's saying that he's God and they're seeing him do miracles. It would have been awesome. Can you imagine sitting at the table with the Lord? You could ask him any question that you want about heaven or about sin or or hell or whatever and I mean, you could ask him those things and he could answer just imagining hanging out with the Lord. But I imagine the table that he was sitting at, it wasn't like there were a bunch of nobles and bigwigs sitting at the table. He was the only noble person, the true noble person, the only true king that was at the table was Jesus. And he was sitting around with misfits and prostitutes and tax collectors and Pharisees and Sadducees and, 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 you know... All these outcasts and the downtrodden and those who felt excluded. And I think if you wanted to find Jesus, you'd probably find him one of two places. One, you'd find him at the temple, or two, you'd find him at the street corner. Because he wasn't afraid to go to the places where the sinners were. He didn't just sit in the temple all the time. Now, just because Jesus uh, associated with sinners did not mean that he was not a truth teller. This is very important. In fact, he dropped truth bombs all the time. I imagine that he could sober a group of misfits like nothing. Um, In today's text, it says in verse 21, Matthew 26, 21, it says, and while they were eating, listen to this. So everybody's eating. They got a big meal out in front of them. They got a big spread. All 12 of them around. Everybody's hanging out, probably asking questions about the afterlife. And here's what he drops. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Okay, that would have been uncomfortable. I mean, I imagine everybody there is like, not me, not me, not me. It's not me. I wouldn't do that. In fact, that's what it says. They said, verse, verse 22, Matthew 26, 22, it says, They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Everybody understands that, right? Like his job was not to come here and cast judgment. I mean, he's the judge, but he didn't come to condemn. But he also didn't come to condone. So he didn't stand, um, he he wasn't in a room where there was a bunch of false lies and just stood there quietly because he wanted to be the peacemaker. He was a peacemaker, but he was also a truth teller. So he calls these guys out. Nobody wants to believe it's them. Surely not I. And it says the kind of they went around the table. Well, surely not I. Surely not I. It's not me, Lord. It's not me, Lord. Now, here's the thing these guys didn't know. Within 24 hours, Jesus was going to be dying the most violent death that you could die on a cross. He was going to be hanging on a cross, crucified with a crown of thorns on his head, all in the next 24 hours. In fact, probably in the next hour or two, he's going to be handed over, betrayed by his own people, and handed and arrested... In just the next few hours. And here he is eating with them. So Jesus takes it straight on like Jesus does. He's not shy about it. it. says in Matthew 26, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. And I imagine all those hands went away from the bowl like that. The, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, at that point in the dinner, I bet every man around there is going, okay, um, it's about time to go. It's time to get, I got to get home to the kids, whatever. I mean, the reality, but they could not escape it because here's the 12 that had given their life up, given their families up had sacrificed so much to follow him. And he's saying, one of you is going to betray me. We know from the book of John that Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, leans up against Jesus and he goes, who's it going to be, Lord? Who did it? And Jesus goes, it's the one to whom I hand this piece of bread. And of course, he hands it to Judas. Judas knows that it's him. Judas is playing dumb. He's like, oh, not me, Lord. Judas knows he's already turned him in. He's already turned Jesus in. He's already pocketed the 30 pieces of silver. I wonder, I don't know if their tunics had pockets. I guess they didn't. But you just think about where did he, you know, did he have the money on him? And Jesus is sitting there saying that, and Judas is holding the money and thinking, man, I I have betrayed my Lord. We know from the book of John, as soon as Judas receives communion, he gets up and he just leaves. So he's like, I'm out. And he's going to betray Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Does Jesus harm him? Does Jesus call down lightning? Does Jesus call down thousands of angels? Does Jesus obliterate him like Jesus could do? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus loves him. He loves him. In fact, he serves him communion. Jesus, before the dinner, is what we think, because that's traditionally what they would do, is they would take off the towel, and they would would, uh, have a foot washing before they ate. Jesus washes the feet of Judas. Think about this. The very man that's going to turn you in, that you're going to suffer a violent death, he takes off his towel. Our Lord, our Savior, the one who would die for our sins, the God, Yahweh, part of the Holy Spirit, gets down on his knees, Judas, who's going to betray him, and he washes his feet. Now, when you talk about loving your enemies, you look at this story. You talk about loving those who don't love you back, look at this story. Our Lord washed the feet of Judas who would betray him. That is so humbling to me. Do I treat my enemies? Do I treat the people who turn their backs on me? Am I a loving, do, do, do I have an unconditional love like this? I don't even like washing my own feet. I mean, it, it's like I don't do that often. Like, it's just gross. It's too much information. Shouldn't have said that one. Don't like wash own feet. To wash the feet of other people? To wash 12 men's feet who aren't wearing shoes, who are wearing sandals, walking in the manure, and you're down on your knees? Talk about a humbling experience. And the Lord, who has the power to call down legions of angels, is doing this for the man who's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver? So why in the world this story on Palm Sunday? I mean, like, it was a great few minutes to see all these kids bringing these palms fronds forward and it like made my tears fill my eyes fill up with tears and and I'm thinking I'm about to preach on Judas's betrayal why this story well it's actually one of the lectionary texts why though a lectionary text about Judas betrayal on Palm Sunday? Why we're entering into Holy Week are we talking about the betrayal of Jesus? Here's why, because this is what we're entering into. We've got Palm Sunday on one end, and we've got the resurrection on the other end. And a lot of people don't do anything in between on Holy Week. They just come to Palm Sunday and they celebrate and then they go to Easter and they celebrate, but Jesus still has to die. Jesus has to die on Thursday, and this is what we're on Friday, and this is what we talk about, is, is we have a Monday-Thursday service this week. It's at Trinity. I'd love for you to come and to be a part as we celebrate communion together the Last Supper, and then there's Good Friday, and, and, and we remember Jesus' death. And here's why this is so, so important, because that is what we hold intention tension this week, is this king who's coming into Jerusalem, right? And he's riding on a colt, and it's amazing, and everybody's waving palm branches. But that same king would stop on multiple occasions in Scripture, and he'd look over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, he would look over Jerusalem, and he would begin to cry. Remember remember Jesus' weeps? Remember that with Lazarus? He, he, he cried, our Lord would cry, and he cried over Jerusalem. And and so that's what we're heading into this week. I can't wait for next Sunday. It's like my favorite Sunday of the year. Duh. I mean, it's so exciting to have everybody. Last year at the table, we had over a thousand people who came. It's such a fun week. But here's the deal. Our Monday, Thursday service might have a hundred people. So 90% of the people are skipping the crucifixion. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty and come Thursday or Thursday, what I'm saying. Um, is, is, is just to remember what happens during, during the week. Here's a couple of the last things I want you to imagine. I think this is really cool when you look at biblical history or you look at the Old Testament. So what was going on when all this was happening with Jesus is that they were celebrating the Passover. You remember this? And they're all coming into town, and they have all these lambs that they have brought into Jerusalem to sacrifice on behalf of their sins. Remember the Old Testament story where they take the blood of the lamb, they put it over the the, the blood post and God passes by. And so then God tells them every year, I want you to celebrate the Passover. And so that's what these people are doing. They're celebrating it, their yearly celebration. So they have all these lambs and they're sacrificing them on behalf of their sin. And as they're sacrificing those lambs on behalf of their sin, guess what's happening? Jesus is sitting down at the table while all those lambs are outside and they're waiting to die, while they're waiting... They're they're making noises, and I'm sure you could hear it all throughout Jerusalem. Jesus is sitting down with these disciples, and the same day that he would die, they'd be bringing all these lambs and slicing their throats, and they'd be bleeding, and there would be blood shed on the altar. And at the same time, Christ's blood is being shed on the cross. You think God had a plan? You think he had a plan to redeem us, that all this was happening at the exact same time as the Passover? It's not by chance. God has woven this. You see, you are here for a purpose. God has a plan for you. He ordained you to be here. He ordained that moment just like he ordained your life. And don't think that all this is happening by chance. God has a plan of redemption and he's coming back to get us. He's going to do what he said he would do in the book of Revelation. And one day he's going to bring all this to fruition and Jesus is going to come over the horizon. Everybody's going to go, oh my gosh, what they were preaching about is actually true. That's what we celebrate on the day of the resurrection. And it's cute to hunt for Easter eggs and all that, we'll do that day, but it ain't about the Easter eggs. And it's not about the Easter Bunny. It's about Christ, and he is resurrected from the dead. A man came back from the dead. You were going to die. Do y'all realize that? You're going to die you will have the same resurrection as Jesus Christ if you believe in him. He died to set us free. And next week we will talk about what the resurrection means for us. It is gonna be so, so good and so much fun next week. But let's remember let's remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The last thing I will say is this. You know, I was looking at this story and I'm going, gosh, man, it's really surprising that Jesus treated Judas that way. And, and I was like, man, that... That shouldn't even be a surprise, the fact that Jesus is sitting with sinners and that he he forgives Judas. What should be a surprise is that God came to earth. That's what should surprise you. The fact that God left heaven and came to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, and walked the earth with a bunch of sinners and let us crucify him on a cross. That's what's surprising. There shouldn't be a surprise about Judas. I mean, if God's going to come to earth and he's going to die for us, and Judas is like, just, okay, of course. He loves us that much. Man, you know, I was talking about Baptists earlier. I was in the Baptist church right now. They'd all be amen. (laughs) I mean, not amen in me. Amen in the fact that God sent his son to die. I don't need the amens, but praise him. Praise him for who he is. He's a good God. That's why we came here, right? Well, I'm going to have the benediction. That's why we came here, right? We praise him because he is a good God who came to earth and who died for us. See, this is what the Bible says, 1 John 4, 9 through 11. It says, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God. It's not about our love of him, but that he loved us. Remember that. It's not not just all about us loving it. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man. God loves you. He has a tremendous love for you. If you will open your heart to him, if you have never done that, open your heart to him and receive him. The Bible says you do that by confessing him as your Lord, repenting of your sin, and he will receive you, and he will be Lord of your life, and you will be forgiven. You have to keep coming to this altar, but he will forgive you of your sin. i offer that day to you in Jesus' name. Never forget Judas 8, 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, um, I'm so excited about being able to celebrate on Easter when you rise from the dead. But Lord, I, I just pray that we can pause and remember the great suffering that you went through to get to that point. Without the suffering, there never would have been a resurrection. Without the pain, there never would have been triumph for us. Without the sacrifice of the lamb and the bloodshed, there never would have been life given to your people. We would still be coming to the altar sacrificing lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. And I thank you that you are the eternal sacrificial lamb who died on behalf of our sins and atoned for us. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to... Make us new in you through our repentance by us bringing our sins to the altar and claiming the blood of Christ over our struggles and our, our trials. Man, thank you for this church and the people here, Lord. But most of all, thank you for the universal church that you have set up, Lord, so that we can learn and know and grow more about you. Forgive us, make us anew. Somebody doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they will do as I said and confess and believe, repent and open their heart and invite you in and come talk to one of our pastors. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.